glass-breaking and um, just things like that. Uh, you know, one of my earliest memories was my sister carrying me out of the room when, you know, my father, I think, I don't know if the power went off or he did something to the light, but it was glass broken and my sister grabbed me and took me upstairs. And uh, so it's just one of my early memories about uh, my father's drinking. And uh, the... An acquaintance tried to molest me when I was a child, and I didn't tell my mother. I I always wanted to protect her because she was always so concerned with my father's drinking. She was just sort of wrapped up in it. I learned early about keeping secrets and keeping my dad's drinking secret. I uh, he smashed out the window of the car after my sister's wedding, and uh, I told somebody at school, and my brother told on me, and. I got slapped across the face, and I wonder I didn't go through the other window of the car, because that's where I was when, he, when uh, my brother had told. I was right twice in two days when I was a teenager, and I confided in a friend, and everybody in the community knew by the next day, but I didn't tell my parents. I was scared to tell the police, because I was sure I'd be blamed. As a teenager, I was looking for love in all the wrong places, and I ended up in a lot of unsafe places. And first to change on page 47 says we're only sick of our secrets. Until we let them out into the light, they keep us trapped. And uh, I had a lot of secrets. My mother had an Ann Lambert's column on her bulletin board and um, for many years. And it was, I don't know how long she had it there, but uh, it was right beside the kitchen sink. And I used to, it was my job to wash all the dishes. And... Uh, I used to read that I was, as I was doing the dishes, and I read it a lot, and, you know, I recommended Alan on. And um, when I was 17, I saw a hand-drawn Alan poster in the medical clinic in my hometown. And I remember thinking, I wish I could go there. And because um, even then, you know, I already recognized that every guy that I dated had a problem with drugs or alcohol, and mostly alcohol, but there was a little bit of drugs thrown in there, so. And, uh, you, know, the first, you know, when I started to date somebody, the first thing I would try to do was control their drinking. And if I could control them, I lost interest. I didn't, you know, I like the bad boys, and uh, I think there's a lot of us out there that like that, you know, I like looking for excitement. So I married my first alcoholic when I was 20, and it was a pretty turbulent marriage, uh, so off and on for seven years. And um, I knew he had a problem with alcohol when I first started dating him. He had been recommended that he go to the an alcohol treatment program, and uh, well, he had to go to it to get his driver's license back. And uh, I was invited along. I was engaged to him, and uh, I was invited to go and. Uh, found it very interesting. I mean, they showed films about drinking and driving and all those things, but there was a counselor there, and he recommended that I go to Elmont. And he gave me some pamphlets. He gave me uh, a little pamphlet that was Elmont, and uh, there was about three or four pamphlets he gave me. But he also gave me the names of the people in my hometown from Elmont. And I knew those ladies. I lived in a very small town with a thousand population, and uh, you know, you knew most everybody. And, uh, you know, I knew those ladies, and I nearly needed to meet them one night, but um, I didn't make it there because I thought, well, they're going to tell me not to marry him, and uh, they didn't know, you know, I didn't 
didn't think I could tell him what I really was thinking in my mind. You know, I was so sure that he was going to get killed. Like he, he drove and you know he drank and drove and you know did a lot of things driving and that. So I thought, well, he'll get killed driving drunk and uh, so I'll be a widow and everybody's going to feel sorry for me. Um, that particular year, I think there were that little community or that area there, I think there were seven alcohol-related deaths, so it, there was probably a good chance of something like that happening, but it um, didn't happen. I think he's still alive today. <laughs> no help there. Nothing that I did. But um, it's hard to believe that, uh, you know, I, I didn't have any insanity, right? Anyway, in the first year of my marriage, uh, we lived in seven different places and three provinces. And you've heard about geographical tiers. Well, I think we're looking for geographical tiers. And every time, you know, the next place would be better. We ended up, we were in northern British Columbia in a trailer park, and um, he, one night he was drunk and uh, napped over the gun, and he was going to shoot me and shoot the neighbors and shoot the dog, and I think he was shooting at the river at the end when the police came, but I had taken off, and um, they hauled him off to jail. And um, the RCMP officer came looking for me later, and uh, because I had gone and I didn't know where he was, you know what had happened, and I came back to town a few hours later, and uh, he told me that my next door neighbor was an AA and his wife was an Elmhorn, and they, I guess the neighbors had told the police when they came; they'd probably been the ones that called the police, and. Uh, I stayed up all that night so I could catch the neighbor in the morning at 6 a.m. because I knew he left for work at 6 in the morning. So I, and I don't know why I expected I would see him. He didn't have to come around his trailer, but he came around his trailer so he was in front of mine and I ran out to catch him and asked him about A and Eleanor. And, um, that, um, his, his wife, but he said, you know, go in and talk to the wife and, uh, she took me to an open A meeting that night, and uh, and then two days later to my first Alamon meeting. My first Alamon meeting was August 25th, 1976. And, uh, yeah, it's been a while. So, I was an Alamon um, off and on for, uh, well, well, I stayed in Alamon all the time, sorry, but time of the marriage, and it was off and on for the seven years, and uh, went through a lot of different things. Uh, I kept thinking, it was, it was just hard to leave, you know, because I'd leave, and then I'd uh, you know, oh, I'm sorry, and uh, it's never going to happen again, and I'm going to quit drinking, and so I'd go back, and, you know, another, you know, month down the road, and you'd be back at it, and, uh, and so I would uh, go on for, you know, get on that merry-go-round. The, um, I was going to backtrack for a second. Uh, my first meeting, my first Alamon meeting, again, I, I always lived in a small town, and this was just a little small town, but they were building a big dam there, so there were a lot of construction workers out of town. But um, the Alamon meeting was in this house, and it was the last meeting in the house. But the 80 members met at the same time, someplace else, and they used to come over to the lady's house for coffee after. Well, that particular night, my first meeting, the uh, 
delegate for AA, for actually with Alberta and Northern British Columbia, was coming to the meeting and he lived not that far away that he showed a video, or not a video, it would be a, I guess it's a film, of his trip to the A General Service Conference. But what he did is he had gone to, because of the distance where they were, you know, this remote area, he had also gone to the Elmon office in, back in New York and he had, you know, some pictures of the Elmon office. And one of the things I always remember is that, what was this basket of stepping stones that you got the Wolkins on it? Well, that picture was in his, in his film and, uh, when he showed that, I didn't go there. Now, this is my first meeting. Now, I don't know why I thought I was going to go there, but I thought I was going to go there. Well, it took until uh, I didn't get the stepping stones until last year, but um, since the World Service Office a number of times. Never been to, uh, not in Rock Canada, New York, so. But. Anyway, continuing on. The... Um, with my marriage and, you know, the, the different things that happened, um, you know, I'd be woken up at 2 o'clock in the morning with a knife at my throat and I'd spend nights in, the, nights in my car and uh, I used to always keep keys and clothes hidden and, you know, ready to go because I had to have clothes for work the next day and, uh, you know, in winter I'm in northern Alberta, that's where I lived at that point, um, it gets kind of cold, you know, and it's like minus 30, so you got to be have some clothes, and I would have a, had a sleeping bag in the car, and yeah. I spent many weekends with a sister-in-law. I had a sister-in-law that had been in Elmon, and uh, she, you know, she understood, and I, her husband also worked out of town, so I spent a lot of time with her. But uh, the night that I knew that I had to end the marriage was the night that I was driving home from university class, and uh, I thought about driving into oncoming traffic, and I thought, you know, I have to get out. And uh, and the next morning, I read in one day at a time, and the reading on March the 26th, and part says, "Fighting futility is a waste of energy, Samantha. Either do something or quit Freddie." And and that was the day I left. And uh, it. Uh, yeah, so that was back in, in 1983. So within a few months, once again, I'm in a relationship with another alcoholic. This one's newly sober in AA. You know, and I swore I wasn't going to have anything more to do with alcoholics. I just had always, you know, I always kept getting involved with him. And, um, but I had promised a fellow in AA that I would look after the alcohol portion at this little AA roundup. And so I had to go, and uh, I walked into that roundup, and uh, I caught this guy staring, staring at my leg, and uh, I was wearing kind of a shortish dress, and uh, and uh, I thought, oh, nice shy one, not, not, but um, <laughs> that is my husband today, and uh, you know it was lust at first sight. <laughs> So life should be perfect, right? He's an A and I'm an Elmon. No, no. You know, and when I saw and heard at those meetings, you know, in the groups that I've been into, the some of the Elmon members, the long timers, they would 
share their story in the meeting, and they'd say, well, you know, he got the A, and everything's wonderful. And so I thought, well, gee, everything should be wonderful, and it wasn't. And, um, you know, it, um, so I didn't share, you know, some of the things that were going wrong, you know, and uh, some of the problems we had adjusting in there. So, you know, he, my husband had a bit of an anger problem, and I thought if we didn't get so angry, I wouldn't lie, and, uh, you know, everything would be perfect. No, no. So I still wasn't very honest with myself, and, um, you know, I learned, you know, then, you know, how to share. You know, from that experience, I learned that I have to share what's going on in my life, and, um, you know, if, we, if we're at a meeting and um, and sometimes, you know, we're hurting, if we don't share that, you know, it's, um, we're not doing the newcomers, you know, any, it's, it's not great for everybody, you know, and I think either newcomers or oldcomers, oldcomers, oldtimers, do have to hear, you know, what's going on really in their lives, and, um, I mean, no, we can't, you know, we can't sit in the, uh, in all of that muck, but... I think we have to share it too, at least with our sponsor or somebody. So what I was going to do is uh, take you through the 12 steps and just uh, journey you some of my relationships in that. And uh, step one, we admitted we are powerless over alcohol and our lives are unmanageable. And uh, obviously I had no problem admitting that my life was unmanageable. Back at that first open AA meeting that I attended before I went to the Alamon meeting, the A members took me through the steps, and I identified totally, you know, whether for my husband, for myself, or in the rest of the family, you know, I identified, or, you know, mostly on the alcoholic side. And, um, you know, it, I was, it was easy for me to see just how powerless he was when, you know, when he started drinking. But I, you know, in step one, I learned to start to keep the focus on myself, and, um, at that Almond meeting, the first Almond meeting that I was at, um, one of the AA members that I'd met previously, he said, oh, how are you doing? And I immediately launched into what the alcoholic was doing. And he said, no, I asked how you were doing. And, you know, it's one of those things that you just remember today, you know, and, uh, you know, learn to start to keep the focus on myself. And in step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves restores to sanity. You know, and um, at that first meeting, well, I, you know, I just, I recognized you know, some of that insanity in my life, you know. I had, um, on purpose, I crashed my motorcycle not very long before that because he didn't see what he was doing to me, and so then he might quit drinking. Well, I know I didn't need some of this twisted thinking, but I had gravel all up my ribs, and um, I was the only one that was hurting and um, used to do a lot of different things to uh, make him think he was crazy. And uh, one of them um, was drinking in the bar, and uh, I had just, I was on my way to my sister-in-law's for the weekend because if he wasn't home on a Friday night when I came home from work, I knew he was drinking. So I would just catch to the sister-in-law's, and in the little town, he was his car was in front of the bar, so I took his car, because I had his car keys too, and I hid it about three blocks away, and he back And I forgot about it. You know, and it was years later, and I'm in a, actually in an open AA meeting, and somebody mentioned that bar, and all of a sudden I did. You know, and, and I never did, I don't know how he found the car. I didn't find it. Like, that's weird. You know, 
Yeah. So I think those are some other great ideas. You know, how to, you know that he would think he was crazy, and uh, and he'd quit drinking. And uh, one of them was that I was going to put meat in his hair when he was sleeping. <laughs> he'd wake up and his hair would fall out, and and he'd think, well, he's crazy. I don't know. I mean, does that make sense? No, it's just my insanity. And I used to think about ways I was going to kill him. You know, and where was I going to bury the body? I lived, I lived, I worked in Edmonton and I lived, it was 45 miles out to where I lived and I'd check out the fields and I'd, mm, there's a nice cloudy field. <laughs> but then I think, well, if I did that, how would I collect on the insurance money? Insurance policy. So, no, it didn't happen. So, and in step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives to care of God when we understood it. You know, I had no problem with this step because, you know, I had always had a, you know, a deep faith in a higher power. And, um, you know, one of the earliest things that I can think of that I turned over to my higher power was at 17, getting down on my knees and praying that I wasn't pregnant. But also in that prayer, I said, you know, if I am God, please be with me and help me and, you know, show me the way. And, uh, you know, when we were pregnant and, uh, you know, throughout that, I felt my higher power with me and, you know, just helping me and showing me. And, uh, you know, I remember that faith, Father and I, we briefly talked about marriage. And, uh, but we were too young, but I made the decision to give up the baby for adoption. So, you know, and I always... I always felt good about that. I mean, there was this hole in my, there was a hole there, but I always felt good about the decision. And um, so that was, you know, one of the earliest things I'd given over, and that was, you know, before I went on. And in step four, made a search and fear of moral inventory of ourselves. And for me, step four was like feeling excited. When I came to Al-Anon, I thought there was nothing wrong with me. I'd be, I'd be perfect, you know, if I just quit smoking, I'd be perfect. I mean, you know, if I quit drinking, life would be perfect. So my first step was probably pretty basic. I don't remember much of it. And I do know that every time I went back and completed another step four, more was revealed. You know, when I've been married 14 years, or sorry, I've been in Alamo for about 14 years, and my life at home was not very good. My husband and I, there was constant fighting and bickering, and uh, we'd attempted to adopt an older child, and it didn't work out, and uh, we'd gone through all kinds of counseling with her and for ourselves, and uh, she, this girl, was stealing cars at 12, and uh, it was it was just totally destroying our marriage, and uh, we had to just let her go, and, and there was a lot of guilt with that, you know, letting this child go, but it just... We couldn't do it, and, uh, you know, we just, it was just, yeah, just got a lot of guilt, and, uh, remember a few months later, it was New Year's, and, uh, my husband and I were fighting one more time, and we were heading off to, uh, a New Year's dance, and we're having a fight, and I, he didn't want to go, I guess, or I, I think it was something to do with that, and I wanted to go, and it was very important to me to go out for New Year's, and, uh, and uh, remember that uh, night, we never even, you know, everybody gets around to, you know, kissing everybody good, you know, happy New Year's, and 
I'm not even sure he made it into, he's gone out to the car some, for some reason and didn't even get back in there until about 10 after 12. And I remember that night going home and just getting on my knees and saying a prayer and just, you know, turning my marriage over to my higher power. And because I just, I didn't know where we were going. And, uh, like the next day or two days later, a friend called me up and she said she's going to do a step study at her house and, uh, you know, would I come? And, okay, sure, that'd be great. And, um, so I went along with that and, um, you know, again, I, you know, just really working the steps, you know, working hard at it. And, um, my, my husband's story, well, he got involved with something else going on at that time and, um, you know, we were just busy and, uh, it was, um, April, I, 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 for some reason, I think it was Easter weekend, it might not have been, but it was April, and uh, we're sitting at the kitchen table one morning, and uh, just the two of us, and all of a sudden we realized we had not had a fight since New Year's, and hmm, okay, and that's really because I was busy just taking care of myself and looking after myself, and uh, you know, when I did one of those step wars, you know, I thought, what the people the people and the situations I resented, and uh, they, uh, you know, just, Alan just helped me to, you know, keep an open mind and look at uh, all my problems, you know, just in a true perspective. In step five, admitted to God and herself, as another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And for my step four, I had a lot of names of people, oh, you know, I named for those persons uh, that raped me when I was a teenager. And I carried so much fear from that time, and uh, you know, and there was guilt there and that, and um, I, I, you know, I pretty well avoided my hometown for a lot of years after that. But I did a step five with a counselor, and uh, she was familiar with adult children of alcoholics and Al-Anon, and she helped me put it in perspective and to understand that I didn't have to be fearful, you know, and that I was the one that empowered, and you know, those spells would probably be a little nervous about me revealing that, so, yeah, so I took back my power. And, you know, I also learned, you know, with that counselor, is just how much guilt that I carried. I, you know, I carried so much guilt for different things, you know, and I, you know, I'd say, well, I feel guilty about this, I feel guilty about that. I, I just, um, one of the things, um, my sister, it's sort of a long story, but my sister had, I said, my sister had said something, I, her, um, this old man had uh, said something and I told my sister and it was, it was just pretty innocent, you know, and, but I said, I told my sister, well, she got married, she got mad at the old man, she wouldn't talk to him for weeks, uh, you know, she didn't, and then he died alone. And I, I just felt so guilty about that, you know, because, um, you know, but it wasn't any, you know, it wasn't anything big, you know. And the counselor just helped me to see that I was just a child, and, and they were adults, and, you know, it wasn't my responsibility, and, uh, you know, I didn't have to feel guilty about that. You know, and step five for me is, you know, just felt relief, you know, and I didn't have to have those secrets. And um, the uh, step six, we're entirely ready to have God in the holy defects of character. Step six only asks us to become ready. And I have to recognize 
which one of my defects of character I want to have them removed. And, uh, you know, I've been carrying a lot of resentments, and I was full of fear and jealousy, the self-pity, dishonesty, and blame. And, you know, I, just, I didn't even know what all my character defects were. But, you know, the working through the steps helped me more and more see what I have to start to do this. And step seven, humbly answer to remove my shortcomings. And for me, what I had to do for my step seven is go out and uh, get on my knees and talk to my higher power. And, you know, it was like walking in the bush. So for my step seven, I went out in the bush and I just found a, a log to kneel in and, you know, I just did my step seven there. And, uh, you know, just turned my character defects over to my higher power. And, and, you know, it wasn't very much later that I realized that, you know, one of, you know, my jealousy had been removed. And, uh, you know, it just, I didn't know when or how, but, you know, it was removed. And, you know, once I realized that, it was just an awesome experience. And, you know, my character defects didn't just disappear. You know, some of them found their way back from time to time. And, you know, hopefully today I will recognize them and turn them over. My husband and I retired in 2007, and since then we spent a lot of time together, and, uh, you know, I found out some of those character defects returned, you know, and minding my own business, it's not my business what he thinks of other drivers. Um, you know, and once upon a time, my husband, you know, we commute together going to work, and he was going through problems, and he'd complain about these people, you know, on the way home from work, and, uh, at that point, I think we had about a 30, 40 minute drive, you know, and he'd be complaining about these people at work, and I'd be defending them. I didn't know them from Adam, but I'd be defending them, and, uh, you know, and the fight would be on. And, uh, so a few years ago, we were traveling in, uh, we were traveling in Australia, and we were driving down this road, and Kenny's making some comments about the other drivers, and still does that sometimes, and I had a little mini bumper sticker, you know, those little bumper stickers and said, live and let live, and it was on the dash in front of me. And I remember looking at it and thinking, why didn't he live and let live? And I thought, why don't I live and let live? <laughs> so that was, that was a really, really good reminder for me. And, um, you know, since then I haven't been able to just, I just don't get involved in, like, you know, whatever it is that he's thinking about the drivers. And step eight, I made a list of all the persons we had harmed and willing to make amends to them all. You know, and for my step four, I had a list of those I had harmed, and it was difficult to make that list and trying to decide who I had harmed. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the people I had on my list said I actually harmed me and I had a sentence to them. But for my peace of mind, it was best that I forgave them. And um, my father passed away about 12 years ago, and... Uh, you know, I, I I never really grieved his passing because we had um, we had a difficult relationship for I don't know the last ten, twelve years of his life. Uh, he had had uh, meningitis, and you know whether that was the cause or just I, I'm not sure. But uh, he just got some ideas in his head, and uh, you couldn't really you know he. I don't know. You couldn't really do anything about it, you know. You just had some strange ideas. And, uh, 
But you know, it, it was just a couple years ago that I realized that I owed my father a man, you know, and, um, you know, he was dead, and, uh, and now, you know, there was a lot of things that I did as a teenager, and I owed him for that, you know, he had a ring from the Klondike that his grandfather had given him, and I lost it, and used to steal all his change to buy cigarettes, and, um, you know, I could justify that to myself because uh, I worked on the farm and, you know, I didn't get allowance or anything, so I just justified it to myself. So, so yeah, I so my father and his red letter, and, uh, you know, just, uh, there's, you know, there's still some things there, and uh, I think that I still have to do some work on that one. And uh, I also have a brother that, um, I'm working on trying to make amends to, or, or it's, it's not that, I guess I shouldn't say that, I'm not sure that I owe him amends, but uh, just to open the doors with him, our rest of the family is all pretty well disowned him, and um, I just want to keep the doors open, I guess, and uh, you know, he's probably, I don't know, he's got problems with alcohol and drugs, and uh, few other things, and um, so it's just, it, it's a difficult one, because I don't, you know, you don't want to bring him into your life, but um, you want to have the doors open and just, uh, you know, send him a card or that. And um, making amends, um, you know, step nine, I direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so, but into them or others. You know, and I had my list, and I didn't know if I was going to make amends, but one of the fellows on my list was an A member that I wrote from San Antonio. And we got my list, ooh, hard to do, you know. And then we go to a, ooh, A, L1 function, and there's two seats at a table, and guess who I'm sitting beside? And, uh, you know, I made my men's team that night, and, it, you know, and he's, oh, it wasn't a big deal, you know, but I broke his anonymity to his neighbor, and, you know, quite by chance, or by accident, so. And, you know, one of the amends that I was to my mother. Because, um, for many years I was just not able to be in her presence without snapping at her. She would tell me things and, um, I, I just, I don't know, I took everything personally. She would say, oh, your sister has this and I'd think, oh, she's, um, she's thinking there's something wrong with me because I don't have that or that. And, um, so finally, you know, it took a while before I realized that you should just share your information. And, um, you know, my mother didn't uh, want to accept any amends. Um, you know, but I, I learned in Al-Anon that, uh, you know, from the people in Al-Anon, my sponsor and others, you know, how to be a kind and loving daughter. And, um, and so in the last two years of her life, she had emphysema and, uh, I lived, you know, 900 miles away, and I was able to call her and uh, every Sunday and just talk to her while, while she was just struggling. For breath. My father would often leave her alone on Sundays, and he'd be gone to hockey or something, and uh, she would be panicking for her behaviors and things like that. And I would just talk to her and calm her down. And, uh, and when she passed away, I was the only one of the family that was with her and um, I am I am so grateful for that that I had that opportunity and uh, you know the other family members they all sort of thought well they was more time and um, and there wasn't. 
um, step 10, continue to take personal inventory when we're wrong, promptly admitted it. But step 10, I try to keep these places clean on a daily basis. And um, one of the things that really struck me in one of my step 10s that I was doing is in our Alamon Paul Steps and Paul Traditions, it talks about being courteous in the family. And, um, you know, I knew about being courteous to you, and I knew how, we, how to be courteous at work, and, and that, but I wasn't courteous with my spouse, and, um, because it's not something that I saw growing up, and, um, so, step 10, I had to, you know, learn to be courteous to my husband, and, um, one of the things, you know, let it begin with me, and, you know, if I want, you know, something in the relationship, I have to give it, and, um, years ago, um, my husband would be on his way out the door going to work and he'd be, I'd be having breakfast and he couldn't find his keys, his wallet, uh, glasses. He'd be looking for those and he'd want me to help him look and I'd get very frustrated and upset. You know, and I finally realized if I wasn't handy, he'd have to look for it himself and um, so I changed my routine. I managed to be in the shower every day when he was going to work. Work for me. He learned how to get himself ready for work and get himself more organized. Most of the time. I was thinking of that uh, yesterday when we were leaving home. He couldn't find his wallet. Well, you can't come to the U.S. without a wallet, right? I had a passport, but I didn't have a wallet. And I ended up having to help him look for that. But, um, no, something's going to change. But most of the time I try to just stay out of it. And um, the other thing I was thinking about, you know, we'd be someplace, and uh, now I know none of you have ever done that, but uh, we'd be at a hey, roundup or something, and there'd be a great speaker, and uh, and I'd say, oh, he's got to hear this, and I'd right, you're thinking I'm taking this inventory, right? And I'd go, And, uh, you know, Part of the thing is, you know, minding my own business and that, not taking the inventory. And years ago, I would uh, read something in the newspaper, and I guess I got home from work before him, but I'd, you know, keep reading the newspaper, and I'd see something, and I'd think, oh, he should read this, you know, maybe a letter, or maybe it's something like that. And um, so I'd tell him, and he'd be upset because, you know, one of his with or, you know, or, you think I do that or whatever. This one day, never getting the newspaper and I read something and I thought, wow, you should read this. And I said, oh no, I'm not going to do that. So I reached back in the newspaper, pulled it all up, put the section where I thought you should read at the very bottom, and it's, there's probably five sections, and it's, I put it down on the chair, on the, you know, I, the chair was underneath the table, right? So he comes home from work. Sits down at the table. Now, he usually goes and gets changed first, but no, he reaches over, pulls up the paper, flip, 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 the last section, right to the last page, and there it is. And that's what he read. He never said anything. But, you know, if, if somebody's meant to know something, they'll find out. So, anyway, that was a real eye opener for me. And, you know, and also for myself, you know, if I'm supposed to know something, it's going to come to me without my crying. And stuff like that. Thoughts of prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood it. Pray only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. You know, and um, 
it's interesting, Jean was talking about Step 11 on the way here, and, um, and how important it is, you know, and it is for me, and, um, you know, my higher power works in my life in so many ways, as long as I maintain a conscious contact with my higher power. And I have to either get down on my knees or something on a daily basis. I have to talk to my higher power, and uh, I'm often talking to him, you know, ten times a day even, you know, but but consciously first thing in the morning I have to do that. And uh, and I didn't, you know, and some days I don't, you know. Today was one of those days that I just didn't because it just wasn't, uh, I don't know. And... Uh, I didn't have a good day today, and um, you know I had to turn my my day over five o'clock or so, four thirty, sitting in the hot tub at the hotel. <laughs> anyway, my higher power works in just so many ways, you know, and uh, you know a lot of times, you know, I just turn over my problems, you know, and when I walk out in the nature, in nature and that, and. Um, Years ago, I heard about, I heard an A speaker, and she was talking about, uh, he would see, when he seen a deer cross the road in front of him or something, he just knew it was, uh, something from his higher power. And I always remember that, and, uh, often I noticed I'd be having a bad day or something, I'd be heading to work, and then the deer would come across the road, and I would just, oh, thank you, God. Because it was just a reminder, it just, that was a little reminder that God was with me. And uh, about a month ago, I, I, don't, I can't even remember what it was about, but my husband and I had been having a little bit of argument, and I've been to the dentist, and I'm on my way home, and, um, and I'm just, you know, praying all the time, and it's just, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on, and uh, all of a sudden, there's tears just standing on the side of the road, you know, and it's just, I mean, we're talking about on the Trans-Canada Highway, okay? And it's just standing there. And, um, I'm like, thank you, God. You're there. I know he's there. So, it's just, that was a reminder. And, um, the, uh, I don't know why I was thinking this, but, you know, one of my favorite, um, things that I always had was the Just For Today card. And, uh, just for today, most folks, just for today, I will be happy. Most folks, or as they make up their minds to be, you know, and that was what Abraham Lincoln had said. And, uh, you know, I received the Just for Today pamphlet or leaflet at my very first meeting with those little leaflets before the bookmarks and that, and uh, it was my lifeline from then on, you know, and I always had a Just for Today either, you know, in my wallet or my, whatever I was reading, my books and that. There's usually one pretty handy today. And, uh, you know, my higher power just works in a lot of different places in my life. You know, I've been, uh, you know, finding out information about something just by chance, you know, and uh, the... Oh, I just, I can't think of that one right now, but, yeah. You know, what I learned, you know, is that I can't just, I can't push for results. You know, I have to let go and let go on. And uh, I was going to say, when I was traveling in Australia a few years ago, we would be um, driving, you know, into a town, and I think, oh, you know, I'd like to see more of this town. But for some reason, we had to move on because we were expected someplace or something. And uh, the funny thing was, is each of those towns that I thought I wanted to see more, we ended up back there for an extra day, and we were able to see what I wanted to see. So it just, when I just like the little things, you know, they work out. 
In step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these gifts, we try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. You know, when I lose focus on myself, when I'm not working or managing my conscious contact with my higher power, I can get off track so easily, and my serenity slips, just like today. And I start minding someone else's business. So I have to really work at keeping the focus on myself and prayer and meditation, getting down on my knees on a daily basis. So, yeah, I have, I have a great life today. It's not perfect. You know, and I, I, I can get down on myself and I fall into my character defects and uh, I was minding, minding someone else's business and I need to be right. And, uh, but they're not daily occurrences today, you know, when I have a conscious contact with my higher power. You know, I have so much gratitude for what I have, you know. And when I wouldn't have it without Alamon and Alcoholics Anonymous. And without those programs, uh, I don't think that my husband and I would be together today. And um, it's to, life continues to unfold, you know. About eight years ago, I found that daughter that I gave up for adoption. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a slow process. Um, but, you know, we're gradually building a relationship. And uh, she always, she had a great life, you know. And um, she's a lawyer. Or she's married to a lawyer. And, uh, you know, I think one of my, you know, when... I would think about her through the years, you know, and I, I would be worried that she might be, you know, have a problem with drugs or alcohol, you know, because of the family. And uh, I would see people come into the program that had been adopted and had, you know, terrible lives. And I, you know, thinking I would just say a prayer for her. So, you know, just knowing that she has a good life and that, and she always had a good life, I, I just felt so grateful for that. And um, the I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I got into service and that. Uh, I don't know, uh, five after nine, so. They said I had hours and hours. Anyway, I'll tell you a little bit about how I got into Alamon service work, you know. And um, the short answer is I was moving. I, I, was, I, was, I was a 4-H growing up and... Um, you know, I always, I learned, you know, about giving back to your community, and so it was just something that we did, and uh, when I was asked to do something, I did it, and uh, so when I got into Elmont, I was interested. Somebody asked me if I would go to the district meeting. Uh, my my first husband uh, back then, he was often working out of town, so I was just by myself. I, we lived in, you know, we as I said, we moved a lot, but uh, we where we lived there. I didn't know hardly anybody. I didn't have any family close by. So, yes, it was nice to go to a district meeting and meet other people. And uh, so that's like I went to a district meeting. And then the lady who was my sponsor, sort of, and uh, never officially asked her, but I thought she was my sponsor. <laughs> that one. And she... Um, she was going as, actually she was the alternate group rep, and so she was kind of going to the but she says, well, if you come, she didn't have a good car, or didn't have a car, and so she said, well, you can drive, and uh, the group will pay for, you know, for your gas, and all you have to do is pay for your lunch. So I did that assembly. And um, 
I was in a smoke-filled basement, back in the smoking days, and, um, you know, it, I had a headache, but I was hooked. And, um, you know, even in that assembly, there was back then, they were shouting at each other across the room, and then, and, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I can't even figure that one out, because I had such a problem with conflict, so, but I, I was hooked on service. And, um, one of the things I did is I started a meeting in a little hometown, another little hometown of a thousand people. Uh, I, I, was, I mostly lived in rural areas, so, and I started an Alma meeting there, and that meeting went up and down for many years, and often I was the only one there, and I, I turn it over to my higher power, and long we come to newcomers, and start up, and go up and down, and uh, that went on for a lot of years, and, uh, and then there, in the next town, there was a, a group that had the same predicament. And so I had, one time, I had uh, looked through the little meeting book and realized for half the year, for six months of the year, you know, counting meetings for 26 meetings, I was the only person there. And, um, hmm, okay. So I remember getting down on my knees again that night and like the next day, my friend just in the other group, she told me, she says, well, there's only two of us here, and uh, why don't we think about joining forces? Well, it made more sense for them to come to where we were than for me to go up there. So we joined forces, and uh, we changed the focus of that meeting to a cow study group, basically, and we just went through the all of the cow and through each book, and... Uh, and uh, today, that I was talking to some of the members when we were in Vancouver at the International, and they've got 18 members in that group now. I think, wow, you know, it's one of the biggest groups around, and uh, from a group that hung in there. So, um, back at assembly, and um, first thing I volunteered to do, uh, they were looking for a tape library. Now we've got the media library here, but the tape library back then we used to have all the tapes from all the different speakers, and uh, I looked after them, and people who wore the tapes, and they mailed them off, and so that was one of my first service jobs, and I had all these tapes, and uh, got to listen to tapes from, uh, oh, there were some old, old tapes, there were tapes of Lois, and a lot of different speakers from that. Some pretty poor quality, but uh, there wasn't there wasn't that much interest in. So eventually, I think they absorbed it into the central office. And I, you know, became a district secretary and a district rep. And uh, my district, uh, they talked about District 70 here. Well, I was in uh, was District 21. This, this was in Alberta Northwest Territories, which is uh, I don't know if you know where Alberta is, but that's just north of Montana. And uh, my district uh, hosted the Allen Convention every year for seven, for five years, and I was always on the committee. And uh, and I think I used the wrong district number for this one, but the district here and all of the people at the area level from this district that hosting this assembly. Well, my district at that at one point there had um, almost half of the assembly officers were from my district, and it's just happened that way, so, yeah. So some groups have a lot of service, and that's great. And um, 
I served as Alton Treasurer and uh, was very much a part of bringing in free registration. Uh, we used to have to register for the assembly beforehand, encouraging all of the groups to uh, to register, and every group had to you know, send in the registration. So they would do it before the assembly, so it made it nice and easy. And uh, you know, served as Alton Delegate. And then another opportunity I had uh, after I was alternate delegate uh, was to go on the Forum Editorial Advisory Committee at World Service Office. The office had just moved to Virginia Beach, and uh, and I had the privilege of attending the open house for the office when the office opened. That was October of 1996, and um, and on the Forum Editorial Advisory Committee, it was. I used to meet in person at the office four times a year, and I would fly in from Edmonton on the Red Eye on Thursday night. I'd arrive there Friday morning, and we'd meet all day Saturday, until noon on Sunday, and I'd fly back to Edmonton and be at work on Monday. And uh, I spent six years on that committee, and it was pretty awesome. And uh, one of the things that I was on the committee, the, uh, the trustees that also met there at the same time, and uh, and so I met trustees, and so I was interested in what they did, and uh, they encouraged me. That I said, well, I, I couldn't do this until after I retire, and some have encouraged me. So that's partially where I ended up where I am today. And uh, you know, one of the things with being you know, on the board and that, and as a trustee, is that uh, you used to have a suitcase that used to miss connections all over the place, and that suitcase miss connections and. I was in Australia traveling one other time, and the suitcase never made it back. I mean, eventually we'd make it there, but I had so many times I was at the airport in Toronto, and you're supposed to pick up your luggage before you go to Canadian customs. No suitcase. And uh, it happened a lot of times, so eventually it didn't make it. And uh, flight was canceled, and I had some interesting ones even this year, but... Uh, I even had the privilege of spending the night in a car in the Chicago airport. <laughs> I don't know, it never occurred to me that maybe I could get a hotel room, but anyway, I did. <laughs> so um, after I finished my term on the form editorial, I ended up as, uh, I, I didn't know what I was going to do, and uh, I hadn't been involved with the area for about six years, and within weeks I had a call from the chairperson of the assembly asking if I take on the area treasurer. And uh, more challenges. I was a banker, but uh, I didn't do Excel and things like that. We had our own computer program, so we learned new things. And I also served as area chairperson for Alberta Northwest Territory. And uh, when my husband and I retired in 2007, we moved to Ontario, and uh, this was 3,000 miles or so from home. I'm not sure how many miles it is. And uh, $2,000. And uh, I learned that there was an opening for regional trustee. And so I had honor and privilege of being nominated from the Canada, the Canada Central Region. So I, as Jean said, I'm in my second year, my second term. And uh, Canada Central is Manitoba, Northern Ontario, and Southern Ontario. And Serving as a trustee has been challenging and interesting, and uh, I've been privileged to attend team events in Florida and Iowa, and of course the International Convention in Vancouver, and uh, the International, I don't know, how many were there? Ooh, quite a few, quite a few. And uh, it was great, and uh, 
I had fun. One of the things I got to do was MC uh, the uh, the parade, and some of the people from Northern Illinois were in the parade. I remember that. And um, one of the highlights of the international was having lunch with my daughter because she lives in Vancouver, so that was pretty neat. And you all know where the next international is? Baltimore. And a friend of mine just shared the other day on Facebook or someplace that if she saves $2 a day, she will have the funds to go to Baltimore. So she's saving. And um, so I'm going to close with this reading, and it's from page 122 of Past Recovery. And it says, All of us are faced with challenges in life, bereavement, disappointment, poverty, to name a few. Recovery doesn't protect us from life. It enables us to live more fully and deal with life's problems as they arise. Elamon gives us human support and 12 steps to live by. Carrying out the actions of the 12 step renews our spirit on a daily basis. Reaching out to others helps us gain perspective on our own lives. We, encouraged by the, we are encouraged by the examples of others. Every, everyday irritation, strength, and life's big problems seem more manageable. Practicing these principles in all our affairs clearly demonstrates to us that the 12 steps are a way of life like no other. Thank you for listening.